0: Hello and welcome to The Next Class. I'm Robert Birdsell, your host, and joined as always by my co-host, Tom Burnford. Tom, good to see you again.
1: Good to see you again, Rob.
0: Good to see you. And uh, happy Advent to all of our listeners. Our second Advent podcast. We're uh, being prolific during Advent time.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. It's a, a, a good season to be looking forward and thinking about the future with hope and expectation. So we're doing that with, uh, with education. That's right.
0: So today we have um, a friend of mine and a longtime educator, Father Steve Katsouros. Father Steve is a Jesuit priest, and like any Jesuit we have on here, uh, take a half an hour to go through all of his education. But uh, to note, he has a doctorate for, from Columbia. He's also got master's from Harvard, uh, the Jesuit School of Theology at Weston, Loyola University, Fordham, and graduated undergraduate from the University of Maryland, College Park. has a long history in education. Uh, he's worked in nativity schools, uh, been in development, uh, teaching English. He was president of Loyola School. He was the associate dean of the University of San Francisco's College of Education. Where I met Steve, he was the founding president and dean of Arupe College at Loyola University. And he is currently the CEO and founder of the Come to Believe Network. So, Father Steve, welcome to the next class. It's a delight to be in your company
2: again, Rob. And uh, Tom, it's great to be interacting with you. Thanks so much for the invitation.
1: Great, Father Steve. So I I, I want to just kick us off with a question and invite you to tell us a little bit about Arupe College because it seems like. Looking at, at your past, a lot, lot of creative creative ways to do education and you were involved in founding another creative way to do education through Arupe College. Can you tell us a little bit about it
2: please? Well, sure. Uh thanks for that question and uh, Arupe is really born from a lot of creativity uh over the last 50 plus years among Jesuits and mostly lay women and lay men. Uh, beginning with the first nativity model school, uh, elementary education for underserved students. And the first one was on the Lower East Side, founded 50 years ago. And then 25 years ago in Chicago, in the Pilsen neighborhood, Cristo Rey, a very innovative way of making high quality um, high school education available to young people who couldn't afford a, a Catholic school tuition by creating work situations for them. And, you know, And there are over 50 nativity schools now, and there are, I think, almost 40 Cristo Rey uh, high schools around the country. So you can see where this is sort of going, you know, elementary ed, then secondary ed. So in 2013, the Superior General of the Jesuits uh, was meeting with, and was kind of a first of its kind, uh, meeting with um, board chairs and presidents of the, at that time, 28 Jesuit universities. In the United States, the meeting took place in Chicago. And the superior general, I'm not doing him justice in terms of uh, the elegance of his and probably the the diplomacy of his remarks, but basically he said, you know, higher ed in the United States, congratulations, you've been very successful, but what about the poor? As your tuitions go up, who is included and who, because I can't afford it, who is not included? You have to address this. And so... Father Mike Garanzini uh, was the president of Loyola University Chicago at the time. He got the message from Father General. And Mike had also been talking to um, high schoolers around Chicago, high school leaders, um, uh, Catholic school principals, heads of charter schools, uh, principals of of public schools, of of CPS, Chicago public schools. And he knew that... Schools, universities like Loyola were missing out on great students with great potential, but who just looked at the tuitions of private institutions like Loyola saying, this is not for me. I could never afford this. This is this is for someone else, you know. So um, and then Mike was talking to one of the first leaders of Cristo Rey, now the president of one of the Cristo Rey high schools in the Chicago area, Preston Kendall. Preston talked about how students at his Cristo Rey school were getting all of these scholarships once they graduated to go on to um, Catholic universities and private universities and state schools. And so Mike said, what about the kids who are not at the top of the class, who are B minus, C plus, C, C minus students? Are they getting any great scholarships? Well, they weren't. All right, so uh, this is where I kind of enter into the picture. Mike, um, I was on a plane with Wi-Fi that worked, and uh, so I was checking email, <laughs> and uh, yep. Mike contacted me and said, I think I have something for you. It may be risky, but it could also be really worthwhile. So I was flying across the country. I was working at the University of San Francisco at the time, and um, I thought at first, it's a startup. I'm in my 50s. This will be, I I did a startup at a nativity school in Harlem when I was in my 30s. I was much younger. Why am I taking this on now? By the time I landed in San Francisco, I thought this is exactly what I ought to be doing. This is exactly what Jesuit is
0: doing. Wow. So, um, Father Steve, what, what shifted for you? It like at the beginning of the flight, you're And then what shifted in your mind? Yeah. You know, I, you know, I mean, Jesuits are supposed to go where
2: the greatest need is. And, you know, we're driven by the magis. What more can we be doing? How can we be more effective? Uh, and, uh, that, that combination was just so crystal clear to me. So, um, you know, I was thinking, boy, I like San Francisco, great wine, great weather. You know, I, I flew to Chicago where, wearing a little windbreaker for my interview. Uh, And of course it was snowing. So I thought, (laughs) what am I doing? Oh no. Um, But I mean, you know, uh, two days I just said to Mike, all right, you know, how do I apply? And he said, it's yours. I mean, uh, go run with it. So Arupe, I'd say in Chicago um, is a big solution to a big problem that uh, Chicagoans were facing, particularly first gen students, Um, undocumented students, particularly Pell eligible students. And we're trying to address the fact that these students often gravitate to two year colleges. And at that time, the um, retention and completion rates in Chicago's um, uh, city colleges were lacking.
0: With that being said, let me take a second to introduce our sponsor, Catholic Virtual. Catholic Virtual is the trusted online education partner of Catholic schools worldwide. We develop customized online learning solutions to meet the needs of our partner schools and their students. Visit our website at www.catholicvirtual.com to learn more. Now back to the episode.
2: And so what we were finding is that these students were uh, gravitating towards uh, city colleges, you know, and this is not a slam against city colleges. I've I interacted with chancellors from the city colleges, with uh, extraordinary professors, but they're a little overwhelmed. You know, I mean, we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of students, hard to get advising. These students are you know, uh, not living on campus, uh, they're first gen, so their parents are one, uh, to, but can't really help them navigate um, um, higher ed. Uh, being a student is competing with being a worker, being a commuter, being a parent, perhaps. And so you know, the, the students were not were not completing. And so we thought, well, how can we get more students like these across the finish line? I mean, at the time, there were tens of thousands, I think over 100,000 students enrolled in Chicago City Colleges. You know, we designed a route base so that we would be enrolling no more than 400 students. So um, uh, it was just a, a way of beginning to address this. It was also a way for Jesuit higher ed, particularly Loyola, to say, all right, what are we doing for a population of students that we don't often see? You know, Loyola, like all other Jesuit universities, primarily white. Um, you know, my, my first year uh, enrolling a class, the average GPA for a Loyola incoming freshman was 3.7. Our uh, uh, GPA at uh, Arupe was like a 2.6. Um, the average ACT at Loyola was something like a 27 or 28. The average ACT for an Arupe student. Remember, these are students that could never afford taking an ACT prep class or a Kaplan course or right. that kind of a thing. You know, it was a 17 or an 18. And yet, these students, you know, when given an opportunity, oh my God, I mean, they really ran with it. So um, you know, we enrolled the first class in 2015. Uh, it was 159 students. I really admire them. They took a big risk. I mean, no one knew what Arupe was. Uh, just so that your viewers know, Father Pedro Arupe was a most beloved superior general of the Jesuits in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. He died in 1991. And, you know, for your uh, listeners who went to Jesuit high schools or Jesuit universities in the last 30 years or so, they know that Father Arupe coined the phrase, the whole purpose of Jesuit education is to produce women and men or persons for and with others. And if they haven't, if they didn't hear that while they were enrolled in a Jesuit high school, or a Jesuit University, they should get their tuition back because they were not—they uh, were not inculcated in, 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 in our Jesuit mission by culture. Yep.
0: Anyway, I agree. No, Father Steve, you're right. If they don't know that phrase, I don't know. They, they were in a different school. They were not at a Jesuit. Hundred
2: percent. So um, we enrolled the first class, and it was you know, uh, six faculty members, two associate deans, one for academics and one for student success, uh, an admin and um, uh, and a social worker. And our approach was to um, really address the students' holistic needs. So faculty members served as advisors and they had loads of 20 as opposed to, in most community colleges, most universities where you have hundreds of advisees. You know, the the students had to begin uh, their enrollment with an orientation that included a residential program. So these students are commuters to keep costs down, but, um, Loyola Chicago has a retreat and ecology campus several miles west of the city. And that was, uh, a great way for students to begin, uh, to address food insecurity, but also to build community. We had a breakfast and lunch program, uh, for students every day, uh, to address mental health issues. We had, um, a social worker, um, and then we eventually hired a second social worker, and we also benefited from Loyola University's School of Social Work. Some of their uh, social worker uh, students, MSW students, did their hours with us. So that was a great synergy from two different academic units. Um, we uh, provided every student with a laptop, so there wasn't, you know, a technology deficit. Super critical. Throughout my entire six years at Bay, but also super critical during the pandemic, we um, had a college transfer counselor. This was interesting. At first, we weren't sure about uh, what our students would be interested in. And they taught us that, you know, um, this was a bridge program for them. They wanted to go on to their bachelor to get bachelor's degrees. And so we needed a college transfer counselor to help them navigate that. And then we also hired a graduate support coordinator to keep track of of, of the students. So, how do we, how do we you know how do we do? I mean, nationally, thirteen percent of those students who start two-year colleges graduate in two years' time. You know, we're looking at over fifty percent completing in two years' time, over sixty percent completing in three years' time. Um, yeah, that's significantly better. That's the great. The goal was, you know, that these students graduate with no debt. And so 74% of our students said no debt. And the other 26% students, of students said the average amount of debt was under $2,000, under $1,500. So this was 61 credits at a Jesuit private university that they were earning with no debt and going on. And then... Nationally, fourteen percent of those who start to your college is complete their bachelor's degrees in six years time. Fourteen wow. percent. So we had, well, I, yeah, eighty percent complete
0: their bachelor's degrees in five years time. So these these statistics are uh, that's uh, huge. In, yeah. Yes. That's amazing, Father Steve. And and I mean, I've obviously known about this for a long time, but it's the first time it dawned on me that it seems like when you were designing this, you took a lot of what you learned from nativity and brought it to a The postgraduate counselor is straight from nativity. The, the embracing of the whole person, it sounds very much like a nativity model.
2: Well, it's funny. You know, I, I um, worked at nativity for five years before I entered the society, and that experience was really so formational for me. And, um, you know, and then I, uh, when I was a scholastic, I was part of a team that uh, co founded another nativity model school in, in Harlem. So, yeah, that's a big part of, of who I am now. I had not worked in nativity for well over, I don't know, 17 years, no longer, 20 years when uh, we, we, we began a But those were lessons learned. And, you know, the graduate support, so, you know, part of my role at Nativity in the 80s was to start the graduate support program. There had never been that before. And so I stayed there for five years, which was sort of a long run back then. They said, well, you know, a lot of the graduates, we want to support them as they go on to Jesuit high schools, Catholic high schools, other high schools. So myself and a laywoman, Rosa Laca, who just passed away this fall, really uh, an extraordinary leader. Uh, Dr. Olaka and I began the the support program. And I, I knew how important that was uh, uh, to continue community for the graduates of Nativity. And it's been so important for uh, Arupe College just to have graduates come back and talk to current <laughs> students about their experiences, but then also have a go-to person to say, I don't understand my financial aid at the university, or I'm switching majors and I'm really nervous. Or, um, you know, I just have, I have a question about uh, possibly going on to graduate school now. Who do you think I should talk to? And then of course, I'm very data driven. So uh, the task of that graduate support coordinator at Arupe was to track those students that we knew where they were, what they were doing, how can we support them? But then how are they progressing in terms of uh, getting those bachelor's degrees? And then what, what, what happens next to them? Yeah, you
1: know, I, I, I think, Father Steve, it's in my time in, in Catholic education, it's so critical that there are people looking out for the student throughout their entire educational experience, K through 16 and beyond in life. We have to do that. And I know it's so easy to fall into the trap of, OK. Johnny or Julie's here with us for four years. That's all we're responsible for, right? We'll do a good job here and then they'll go on and, you know, but looking at the formation of the person throughout their lifespan. Uh, and I think that goes beyond higher ed as well. That's, I think, something that that we can really offer. And, and
2: that's what you're talking about. I like that. Yeah. Now we call it from cradle to career. And there you yeah, go. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 so and then- it's a joy to be in touch with these graduates, and, and some of them don't all go on to uh, Loyola Chicago or other universities, they're in the workforce. And that's very interesting and very life-giving as well. I mean, when I think of students who are working at Relativity or, uh, uh, you know, with, they've leveraged their associate degree from Arupe to go on um, and, uh, or they go into the Chicago Police Academy. And right away, they're at a different starting salary because they have a post-secondary at credential.
0: So, Father Steve, you and I spent a lot of time as you were getting success with Rupé of dreaming. How do you how do you bring this to more young people, uh, to more communities? Uh, and you form the Come to Believe Network. Tell us about what you're doing today. Sure. Well, you know. Um Early on, university leaders from around the country
2: were approaching us saying, wow, this is extraordinary. We might want to do this on our our campus. We want to replicate this. And there was a trustee at Loyola Chicago, president of the University of St. Thomas, Julie Sullivan. Julie is a very visionary leader. And she said, we are definitely doing this. So um, really, we were just in our second or third year of our existence. And uh, Julie was sending uh, colleagues of hers from um, the Twin Cities in Minnesota, where St. Thomas is located, to Chicago to visit us, to observe classes, to interact with faculty and staff and and students. I was sending um, uh, folks up there to kind of consult and advise them. She brought her board down and the Darty Family College opened um, a couple of years after we did. They've also been extraordinarily successful, similar success rates in terms of retention and completion. And um, so that was the beginning of the network. Um, as more university leaders around the country reached out to me, and as I was talking to funders from around the country, who we were saying, we love what you're doing in Chicago. How about we do this around the country? Um, I hired Accenture to do our re- replication feasibility study. And they spent five weeks with us. And it was pretty exhaustive. Uh, You know, they really um, uh, inserted themselves into the life of Arupe. They interviewed so many uh, different stakeholders. They came out with a very thorough report in which they concluded, this is indeed very replicable. It's important for, you know, uh, students who are first-gen, Pell-eligible, undocumented, but it's also uh, uh, important for higher ed. This is a new model, a different way of delivering uh, a high-quality, high-touch, higher educational experience at a lower cost to a population that is often marginalized in, in higher education. So that was the endorsement and the encouragement that I needed to go to my prevention and say you know i feel like i'm being invited to something else what do you think he gave me his blessing and i'm a member of the um east coast province so i returned to new york uh uh, in August of 2020, uh, and that was, you know, obviously a, a, a very difficult transition. You know, we were five months into the um, pandemic. I had announced in November of 2019 that 2019-2020 would be my last year as the the founding dean, the dean and executive director of Arupay College. I would be moving uh, back to New York, where I spent most of my career, most of my ministry. Um, but you know, I thought, well, all right, uh, let's. Let's try this. Um, Kat Law Firm donated um, office space for us. Um, uh, I've built a great team. Uh, Susan Kniff, who worked with me when I was a high school president, is our VP for uh, finance. Bill Reedy, uh, who is VP for um, advancement at Sacred Heart University, uh, is our VP for advancement. And then Sam Adams, great name, uh, is um, a, a, a recent grad of University of Chicago Masters from their Consul- of educational uh, research had done teach for america in detroit and worked in detroit and public schools for seven years he's our education programs manager that's the new york team i have a chicago team two arupe graduates who went on to loyola they both have a oh, in education nice. so asia meadows and carlos martinez are uh directing communications for, uh, for Come yep. to believe and uh We built a board that includes one of our graduates, uh, Kudamir Syed. Kudamir is now getting his master's in educational technology at the University of San Francisco. And, uh, you know, the board is so supportive. And so uh, I'm so glad I'm I'm definitely not the smartest person in the room. And they are um, on fire about about the mission of Come to Believe. So what is the mission of Come to Believe? I mean, You know, I've always been kind of, I don't know, we just celebrate the feast of Francis Xavier um, early this month, who was, you know, ambitious for souls. I guess I share that with him. So I'm ambitious for this project. I want to open 10 of these in the next five years. And people are saying, um, have you heard about the pandemic? Have you heard about the demographic cliff? Have you heard about all of the, the challenges in higher education? But I think this is a great opportunity for higher ed. And, um, we're talking to several universities around the country here in the north uh, in the Northeast again in the Midwest uh, several in California uh, now we're talking to uh, some schools in Virginia and Pennsylvania so um, there's a lot of interest in this um, it's not only for um, Jesuit universities or Catholic universities I mean we're, we've opened it up now for any university that's interested in uh, in our model and replication our model and creating access.
1: Oh, including non-Catholic universities. Got it.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, it's funny. I did a a podcast recently with the president of a a non-sectarian university. And after the podcast, he said, can we keep talking? And I said, God, about what? I mean, we've been on for an an hour. And he said, well, (laughs) I think I want to replicate your model on my university. So I said, oh, okay. well, let's continue. Conversation right. now. So we provide thought leadership. We do replication um, uh, feasibility studies. We look at the research from Accenture and our own research. We've updated that over the last couple of years, and we really accompany um, these university leaders uh, as they discern whether or not they're uh, they're they're ready to uh, replicate our model on their campuses. We help them prepare reports for their boards of trustees, uh, and then um, we help them as they identify. Who their founding dean will be, and we also provide them with seed funding. So you know, I'm raising uh, funds for Come to Believe so that I can subsidize my services. I don't want you know um, consulting fees to get in the way of um, of a, a university saying, "Do we want to do this or not?" And then we also provide seed funding. It's a restricted gift, which is a fundraiser, I hate. But um, the restriction is that they need to use it to hire their founding dean who can in turn hire an admissions officer to recruit the first class and they can hire an, uh, um, an administrative assistant who can support their work. I mean, I was very cognizant of that. My first year in Chicago, and there was a cushion there at Loyal University, but I was also raising funds um, and, you know, uh, but this is before we had any student revenue, uh, before Pell Grants were coming in, before state aid was coming in. So this, you know, addresses some of that burden for, for universities by giving them uh, a gift from Come to Believe. The title Come to Believe um, comes from uh, John's Gospel. So uh, frequently we hear Martha, Peter, the disciples, the guests of the wedding feast at Cana saying, um, we've come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We we come to we we have come to believe that Jesus is the son of God. And I have always found that personally very moving and very helpful because these are people who knew Jesus, who followed Jesus, who loved Jesus, who worked with Jesus, who socialized with Jesus. They didn't get who he was initially. It took them a while. It was a process. It was gradual. It wasn't Eureka. It wasn't a burning bush. It wasn't um, a thunderclap. My faith life has been like that as well, a journey. You know, it's it's a process. It's, it's a gradual experience for the students that I worked with for six years at Arrupe. It was also gradual for them. It was a journey. It was a process. They came to Arrupe not knowing, well, I really make it here. I mean, I'm at Loyola University. This is a competitive, selective school. No one from my high school is here except for me. And then they met a professor. They took a course. They found community. They um, grew in their sense that they definitely belonged in higher ed. They definitely belonged uh, as an undergrad. They came to believe in themselves. And finally, we're seeing that universities are coming to believe that, yes, these students are very much
0: worthy of the investment. It's fascinating, Father Steve. I'm sure you had told me that before, but I love that story of come to believe that the students come to believe that they belong, that the universities come to believe that they belong. That's that's powerful. And um, when you think of the network, what Will the interaction between the universities, will there be will there be a network or effect there? Or what are you what are you imagining when you have 10 of these up in five years?
2: Again, we want to be able to provide um, ongoing resources for these universities and for their two-year colleges. So I see us convening groups of faculty, staff, students, with thought leaders, with alumni, with family members, um, annually. We're already doing that a little bit. So um, we put together a panel last month on um, access and then success. I mean, you know, universities talk about access to higher education. Well, that's great. But if they're not crossing the finish line, that access becomes less meaningful. So we had presenters from the University of Chicago, from New Profit and from KIPP, um interacting with with me and talking about some research from the University of Chicago on um, stu- first gen students in higher education uh, we had several attendees and then you know that's becoming part of that, that that's something that we have sent out to other universities around the country so if we can provide those resources to folks to deans to professors to faculty to university leaders to Provosts uh, to curriculum designers um, you know uh, on t- in terms of of how to best resource their colleges and how to best serve their students, then that will be our ongoing work and commitment to those universities. And then also just gathering them so that they're learning from each other so that they can share best practices. And then finally, you know, again, I just learned this from um, Arafat Rupe. you start with the student. So, you say to the students, what's your goal in this degree? What are you interested in? What are you curious about? Uh, how do you see yourself uh, using this degree, this two-year degree from fill in the blank? And uh, that often provides us with, with a great roadmap in terms of uh, to, uh, what, what for what next. Yeah. Father Steve, I, I want to switch gears just a little
1: bit and talk about you know, help us think about what's next, what's coming up in the future. It's it's so clear from listening to you that a need was identified, uh, and from that a rupee came forth. Which, to be honest, is the same with crystal ray. It's the same with nativity, and it's the same with with many different innovations or doing things new. So, I'm just curious about what what's on your mind in terms of what's down the road for. Needs within Catholic education and
2: possible creative responses. Can you can you talk to us a little bit about sure. that? Uh, so I think first and foremost. Uh, The experience at Arupe, the experience at Doherty Family College, uh, the successes there indicate that this is replicable, that this is a population that can contribute to campuses, that can contribute to, to research. As long as there is a culture of belonging, I mean, that is so critical. As long as these students are experiencing community. Look, we know this with all students, you know, no matter what your background is. If you get on campus and you feel like you don't belong there. If you're not experiencing community, it's going to be really hard for you to persist and to succeed and complete. And then, and these perceptions, you know, are are just that. But they're important. Um, the the students' perceptions. If you're first generation, student of color, uh, Pell eligible, undocumented. If you're a primarily white uh, uh, institution, you're looking around thinking, oh, all these students are smarter than I am. They're wealthier than I am. You know. Um, let's say your first set of grades, um, were, um, lackluster, that is confirmation for you that you don't belong. Um, if you don't address that pretty quickly, then it's just going to access is meaning is meaningless. So one of the things we learned very quickly, um, I think this would have been true at Loyola Chicago, quite frankly, all of those wraparound support services, had we not done that, I don't think we would have had the same success. Um, Right. So the breakfast and lunch program, mental health issues, um, technology issues, really accompanying students, a very, we called it intrusive advising. Some of that was based on my personality. I'm very intrusive. Uh, But we would really hunt these students down. And uh, and we were small. You know, we were were 300, 350 students. So all of these students felt like they were known. There was somebody. At least somebody and usually multiple people in uh, the community that were were their, were their advocates who knew them deeply. And that goes on after they graduate. So, you know, those holistic supports, you know, when I look at the Biden bill, this may be controversial, but I'll put it out there. You know, for me, it's less about um, free two-year colleges. It's more about having those supports because the free two-year colleges, Great, but if you're not addressing food insecurity, mental health, technology, advising, right. um, then even free. I mean, all right, they won't go into debt, although the cost opportunity for their families they'll say, well, why did you do this when you could have been working, you know, in retail or in the food industry or service industry, or that 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 kind of thing. So um, I also think this is a little controversial as well. Um, you know, Loyal University, St. Thomas University of St. Thomas, they're liberal arts. And so often these students are encouraged to go into, um, you know, vocational work and um, the trades and uh, apprenticeships. That's great. I mean, that's really important. But. There ought to be good options like Doherty Family College, like Arupe College, for students who are interested in the liberal arts, who are interested in STEM or in psychology and counseling or education or business um, or criminal justice, you know, as opposed to saying, oh, well, you should go right into an apprenticeship. There's, you know, I mean, employers are still looking for great communicators, great writers, um, well-educated young people, and, of course, um, Employers are looking for a diverse workforce, and so, you know, for universities to partner with local employers to say, hey, we will be your pipeline, you know, they're getting a credential at our university, which has very strong brand identity nationally, but we're talking about in, you know, this particular city, uh, uh, and, yeah. and so there's a, there's a great link between uh, employers and, 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 uh, and, and universities. Yeah. And Father Steve, do you see
1: universities, I mean, I know it's in some sense, private higher education is challenging at this point, given, you know, and we've talked about this, Rob, with, with previous guests, um, is very challenging. Do you see universities sort of trying to be more creative? Or do you see them hunkering down and trying to protect the way that they've done things in the past? I mean, I, I would imagine that's a challenge. What is,
2: what's going on there? Well, sure. You know, um, I talk a lot about the asset narrative versus the deficit narrative. So, um, you know, for these students, first-gen um, uh, students from uh, low wealth backgrounds, there's often a lot of deficit language that so we have to help them, and we have to, um, uh, you, know, right. you know, bring them up and 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 that kind of a thing. You know, the asset narrative is to say these students have new strengths. They've been able to navigate in ways that previous generations didn't have to or just didn't bring to the table. So, you know, it's a real challenge to universities to say, wow, let's address those assets and let's, you know, kind of rethink the curriculum. Let's rethink student services. Let's rethink campus life. Um, to meet these students where they're at, what Pope Francis talks about all the time, meeting students, where, yeah. meeting people where yeah. they're at. So let's, where, where do, how do we meet these students to build on their assets, not to say, oh, woe is me and they're low income and blah, blah, blah. That's uh, not as important as saying, I mean, we do this with, the, with interviewing students um, for Arupe. You know, when I, I designed the interview protocol for Arupe. Uh, and, you know, I was looking for grit and resilience and persistence. So I, we said to the students, um, the applicants, uh, prospective students, um, tell us about an obstacle that you experienced. What was it? How did you deal with it? Did someone help you? Or are you still in it? How did you resolve it? So, you know, great. Um, we found out a lot about persistence and grit. But the implicit message was, oh, you're a person of color. You're from a low wealth background. You must have an obstacle. So we flipped that. Mm. And instead, we talked about, you know, we couldn't have done this the first year, but in subsequent years, we've said to students, uh, students who are applying, you see that we have a great community here. And looking at your application, looking at your essay and looking at the recommendations from your teachers at school or your coach or whatever, we think that you have some gifts and talents that would already make a great community even greater. Even better.
1: What's right. Something? So you're interviewing. Yeah, you're interviewing the student to see what the student can bring
2: to the community, the school, the college. That's the asset. Absolutely. That's the asset narrative. Yeah, so I yep. think yep. that yep. universities yep. need Love to it. shift. You know, I mean, we're all biting our nails that, uh, you know, the um, demographic cliff is coming in four or five years. Well, all right. But there is this population of students that is not going away that, you um, if we thought about how best to make them feel like they belong and build community with them and uh, build programs around their assets and their experiences, that may be a way of mitigating the effects of the of the uh, demographic cliff and it will also provide you know uh, stronger workers for the local
0: and uh, local economy and beyond. so. So win win. well Father Steve uh, this is we, we, we could go on and on as, as you and I have done for many lunches that ended up two hours three hours long but uh, we want to respect your time and know that you are very busy if people want to learn more about come to believe where would you direct them yeah, to so just on uh, Google ctbnetwork.org.
2: you'll find you'll you'll find us and uh, you know a very robust website built by my colleagues particularly by those two arupe grads
0: Asia and Carlos. So, I've actually, I was on the website earlier today. It is a very good website and ctbnetwork.org for our listeners that want to learn more. And Father Steve, we conclude every podcast with one question that we ask all of our guests, and that is who was your favorite teacher and why? Wow. You know, so I was, um, taught by
2: Zaverian brothers. Uh, they're a big, you know, congregation that runs high schools in uh, the East Coast. And, um, I, you know, the Jesuits, I mean, here I became a Jesuit. People I often say if I were taught by Jesuits, I would have never become one. But um, <laughs> there was one brother in particular, young guy, you know, coach, English teacher, and he was—he uh, died in 2001, right before 9/11. He died very young, uh, and um, but he was so accessible, uh, and uh, gave me a great passion for writing for communication. He also ran a program in the summer called the Higher Achievement Program, and it was out of my high school, and. Um, That was really my first immersion with young people. And I was I was just finished ninth grade, so I was pretty young. But these would be kids in middle school who, um, you know, were really interesting, but and didn't have the same background and the same privileges that I had when I was in the fifth and sixth and seventh grades. And um, we formed community. We wouldn't use that language. I mean, I wasn't talking about community when I was 14 or 15 years old, but that was community. And that was the beginning of thinking about, well, service and community and um, education and um, making this more than just a summer thing or something nice or maybe something for my resume for college, but um, just more a a way of living. So, you know, Brother Greg Turlick was really um, uh, instrumental in in, in beginning that for me now. That's great. And what, what high school is that at? Our Lady of Good Counsel High School. And uh, yeah, uh, it's still going. It was um, all male when I was there. I went co-ed. Uh, oh, gosh, about 30 years ago. Uh, and yeah, uh, great school.
0: My daughter goes there. Oh, good. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. Right down the street from sure. where I am great. Uh, That's great. Well, Father Steve, thank you for joining us on the next class. Um, Tom, good to see you. Nico, as always, thank you for your help in producing this. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it with your friends and family and give us a thumbs up or a like or five stars or whatever you want to do on your platform. But thank you again to all of our listeners for joining us. And we hope to see you again on the next class.